You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, good morning, North. Man, you look and sound amazing. We are at a shortage of seats, I see. And I think there's some people already sitting in our overflow, and I see them still in the tunnels. So welcome to you. Hey, you, you made it to church on a holiday. Happy New Year's Eve to you. You did not stay home. Think of all the spiritual superiority you have over all the other people that are watching online right now. Just kidding. If you're watching online, welcome to you as well. You made it to church on a holiday, and whether you're uh, here in person or online, welcome to you. And for those that are watching later on streaming, you're probably getting into heaven too. Who knows? <laughs> Seriously, whenever you're watching, I'm glad you're here. here here's, here's why I'm glad you're here. That was a joke. Those that are still like murmuring, like, does he really mean that? No, it's just a joke. Yeah, they're, they're, they're probably getting into heaven. Anyways, um, I'm excited about today's message because people have already looked in the, in the North app at the notes and they're like, ooh, temptation, going to kind of hit them between the eyes at the end of the year before they go party tonight. And I'm like, well, I didn't really think about it like that. If you want to know where sermons come from, uh, most pastors will tell you they come from our, our, our lives. They come from our everyday lives. And so Stacy and I, my wife and I, we were riding with our daughter, Aubrey, uh, in the car a few weeks back. And she asked this very serious question, sincere question. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, when he's tempted by the devil, could he have sinned? And so we spent the next few minutes talking about that. Uh, and, and I actually said to myself that, that time in the car, I was like, you know, I know I'm preaching on December 31st. I think I might talk about this to, to our church family. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. If you don't, um, it's going to be on the screen. But let me say this, that what I told Aubrey that day is, yes, Jesus could have sinned. That's why the temptation is actually called temptation. He is 100% God, but also 100% man. And he was tempted with some things that are very real, very alluring to him. But he remained sinless, amen? And he was the perfect uh, uh, Son of God. And so what I asked myself when considering uh, that conversation with Aubrey and, and, and here our time to, together today is, how did he do it? How did he live perfectly, sinlessly for 33 years on, on this earth? And then what lessons, what inspiration, what insight can we draw from Jesus in the example that he sets for us in, in, in Matthew chapter 4? Because we're going to see something that he's tempted in three very different ways, and they're also the ways that we're tempted um, when temptation comes to us. And so there's a theologian named Stanley Hauerwas, and he says that the power of the enemy, the power of the devil, is most clearly seen in the weakness of men. And what he means by that is it's only when people like you and me give in to temptation, when we believe the lies of the devil and we give in to temptation, that that's where the work of the devil is most clearly seen. But when we resist the lies of the devil. We don't believe those lies. We resist temptation. Then, then his work is halted. His work is, is stopped. And so as I think about us today being on the precipice of 2024, what's next year going to be like? And I evaluate my own life. I think, man, Brett, one of the ways that you can really improve is, is, is obedience, like really honing in on what's really subtly being put in front of me and how do I reject anything that's going to pull me away from the will of God, pull me away from the love of God, the love of my family, the love of our faith family and this community that we minister in, our global missions that we celebrated just a few moments ago. What are the things that are out there drawing my heart or my affections or my attention 
away from what God has for me in 2024. And Jesus in Matthew chapter four is the perfect example for us because always, always, always with Jesus, there's things that we see on the surface and then there's things that are deeper that, that are being communicated. And we wanna dig into that. We're gonna study Jesus this morning. We're also gonna study the, the tactics and the attempts of, of, of the devil and his schemes to try to tempt Jesus to really understand what's on the line when Jesus was temp, uh, tempted. What's on the line when we're tempted or when we give in to temptation? What's, what's being said? So Matthew chapter four, verse one says this. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Oh my goodness, we love your word. We love to worship. I thank you for this gift of Mount Perrin North. It's a, it's a great community where authentic and hungry people come in, God, to sing your praises, to fellowship one another, Lord, to most, most importantly, to be with you, to be in your presence with one another. And now we turn our attention to your word. And God, I, I just tell you that we love your word. Disciple us today through your word. Holy Spirit, use me in whatever way you see fit to communicate, but, but you do the talking in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits about what this text needs to say to us to set us up for success and glorifying you, living obediently in 2024. And maybe even for some in the room, God, that are, that are needing a fresh start, needing to turn the page from 2023, God, bring that freedom to us today as only you can do through the power of your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the context of Matthew chapter four, um, this, is, this is a Bible trivia uh, uh, point of the sermon, comes between which two chapters? Not a trick question. Three and five. Thank you, theologians. All right. So Matthew chapter four um, is preceded by Matthew chapter three, and it's uh, following Matthew chapter four is, verse, is chapters five, six, and seven. Five, six, and seven is known as? Sermon on the Mount, some real theologian in here. Bible school, anyone? Yeah, okay, perfect. So Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's awesome. We don't have time to dive into the Sermon on the Mount today, but some of the most intense teaching and ministry of the Jesus comes right after Matthew chapter four and his temptation. But also Matthew chapter three is what event? The baptism of Jesus. No theologians left for Matthew chapter three. It got quiet in here, didn't it? Matthew chapter three is where Jesus is baptized. And so we're told in Matthew chapter three, verse 16, that when Jesus is baptized, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, like the Holy Spirit came to rest upon Jesus at his baptism. And then in verse 17, it says that God the Father speaks from heaven. And, and he says, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So there are a few things from, from that context of where Matthew chapter four takes place that I wanna quickly say about temptation. So the first thing is that temptation and testing have purpose. Temptation and testing have purpose. The very first thing that leaps uh, off the page to me in Matthew chapter four, verse one, we read it together, is that it is the spirit of God that led Jesus into the wilderness for this time of temptation and testing. Now, that is not a comfortable thought, is it? So we think about our own lives, maybe some things that we failed at this year or what's coming at us in 2024. That's not necessarily a comfortable thought. But this same spirit in Matthew 3, 16 that descended upon Jesus is the same spirit that is leading him into the wilderness for the express purpose of this temptation and this testing time. Now, James chapter 1, verse 13 tells us that God does not tempt. 
that God does not tempt anyone. So it's not God that's taking him out there and God that is tempting him to, to, to mess up and, and, and to sin and to fail. He doesn't do that to, to Jesus. He doesn't do that to anyone. James 1.13 makes that very, very clear. But God the Father knew that this time was coming. And it was his will. Think about that. It was his will for Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate in flesh, to be tested, to be tried by the enemy. Why was this even necessary? If this is the Son of God, why was this even necessary? Anybody been watching football the last month, two months? Are you familiar with that, uh, that commercial series called He Gets Us? Five of you have seen that? It's on like every football program. It's called He Gets Us, and, and it's talking about Jesus. And there's, there's different topics on love and relationships and family stress and racism and violence, all these different things, and it's saying that he gets us, Jesus gets us. Well, that's not an original commercial idea. That comes from the pages of Scripture. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 2, 17, I don't think I have this one on the screens. No, I think I do. Peter will, will tell you if I have it on the screens. There it is. For this reason... Talking about Jesus, it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The writer of Hebrews goes on in, in Hebrews 4.15, and he says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus again, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been what? Tempted. In every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Listen, it is for our benefit that Jesus endures what he endures in Matthew chapter 4. It is for our benefit that he was made like us, made in human flesh, that he was tempted so he can relate to everything that we're going through in our lives right now or everything we're ever going to go through in our lives. It tells us that we are not alone, that he understands exactly every temptation that we face and the scripture tells us that not only did he resist temptation, he overcame temptation, he didn't sin, and he stood firm for the will of God. He's been there. He's done it. He's probably got the t-shirt. The second thing I would say about temptation is this, is that God's lordship over our lives is on display during times of temptation. And you might think, okay, Brett, that sounds a little dramatic. It sounds a little sensationalized. Let me tell you what I mean. When temptation comes here in Matthew chapter 4, and when temptation comes to your life and to my life, God is aware. He's not caught off guard by the times that our hearts or our minds or our desires are, are pulled away from him, pulled away from, from, from what is holy. But God has also equipped his people by his word and by his spirit for those moments of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Listen, temptation is common to every single one of us. But according to that scripture right there, the way out is also provided to every single one of us. And that way out depends on whether or not we have really entrusted our lives to God. Because when we resist and we take God's way out, guess what? He's glorified. He's there in that moment. He's glorified that we choose to do the right thing and keep our lives fully entrusted to him. But when we succumb to temptation and what we're saying, when we give in, what we're saying when we sin is that God, your way out and your spirit and your word that should be buried in my heart was not enough to keep me from sinning this time. And listen, 
I'm gonna let you off the hook right now. This is not a condemnation sermon. You're not gonna be perfect. You're not gonna get it right all the time. But that is what's at stake when temptation comes our way. But for Jesus, the stakes are even higher. Let's go back to Matthew chapter three in our minds. Matthew chapter three, verse 17. The voice from heaven speaks and says what? This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, it's no wonder with that statement made just a couple of verses prior that in Matthew chapter four, two times when the devil comes to tempt Jesus, he says to him what? If you are the son of God. So part of what's at stake here is that the Spirit of God is leading Jesus out into the wilderness, knowing this time of temptation and testing is coming. Why? Because God the Father has just spoken, this is my son, I love him, I'm well pleased with him. And the enemy shows up trying to undercut and cause doubt to remove the veracity, the truthfulness, the power of what God had already said, that Jesus is his son. And here's what hangs in the balance. If Jesus fails here in the wilderness... This is one of the things we talked about with Aubrey. If Jesus fails, if he actually gives in and sin, guess what? There is no perfect sacrifice for you and me. He's unworthy to go to the cross and take on the sins of the world if he succumbs to sin right here. That's what's on the line here. The glory of God is on the line. The truth of God is on the line. The eternal plan of salvation is on the line in Matthew chapter 4. Some of those things are on the line when temptation comes to our life too. The glory of God is on display when temptation comes to us. And the third thing I'll say about temptation before we jump into the text a little deeper is that times and seasons of temptation have little to do with our level of spiritual maturity or health. And hopefully that's good news to some of you in the room. You're like, Pastor Brett, I'm a target. I feel tempted all the time. Hopefully that's good news to you. But there are others in the room, maybe you've been walking with the Lord a long time. Maybe you wrongly and dangerously feel like, well, I've been following the Lord so long, I'm done with temptation. Listen, don't fall for that trap. Listen, temptation is common to all of us. Why? Because the enemy hates all of the people of God. All of us. Hates you, hates me, hated Jesus. Temptation has very little to do with your level of spiritual maturity. And I'll say this, if you've been walking with Christ for a while, the things that you're tempted to do may have changed over your, over your years of following Christ. That's, that's normal. The enemy knows, hey, this tactic or this, this allure doesn't, doesn't work on this person anymore. That's fine. But temptation is, is, is going to come to all of us in 2024. Here's how I know that. Jesus, son of God, Matthew chapter three, is baptized the spirit descends upon him like a dove. A voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Goes on a 40-day fast, completes the 40-day fast. Can you get any more spiritual than this? And that's when the temptation comes. It's not about our level of holiness. It's not about our level of spiritual maturity. The enemy looks for opportunities to bring temptation into our life. Amen? Now, to frame our understanding of, of, of where we're going to go in the rest of the text, I want to just read a quick scripture. It's from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And we're going to use these three categories of temptation as our, our template or our outline. And the Apostle John writes this. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So we're going to take those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, as, as the, our framework or our outline for these temptations that Jesus is going to face in, in, in Matthew chapter four. So the lust of the flesh. 
The lust of the flesh can be any desire that we have, can be any desire that we have to satisfy a physical or a fleshly appetite apart from God's word and his will. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, Food, food is good. If you've hung out with me, you know that I love to eat at new restaurants and try different foods, and sometimes it's forced on me on mission trips, but I love food. But gluttony is a sin, right? Sex, I've got four kids. (laughs) Do the math. Um, Sex is good. Sex is fantastic. God has, has, has made us to enjoy that, but guess what? Adultery and fornication is sin. There are all these things that God has made us to enjoy with our bodies, with our flesh, that he's sanctioned, that he's sanctified by his word and by his will. But many of those things, most of those things, can all be corrupted by sin if we try to fulfill them. So again, the lust of the flesh can can be any physical desire that we try to fulfill outside of God's will and his word. So let's jump into the text, verse two, Matthew chapter four. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, there it is the first time, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now on the surface, This temptation is very physical for Jesus, right? He's beyond hungry, 40-day fast. He's most likely weakened, physically weakened from this fast. And and keep this in mind, too, that Jesus is eventually going to eat. He didn't start this fast and never eat again for the rest of his ministry. He eventually is going to eat. He's going to take nourishment. Jesus had justifiable cause to eat in this moment. He had just completed a 40-day fast. Jesus has the power to turn the stones into bread. I believe that. Do you believe that? Okay. He has the power to do it. He has justifiable cause to do it. So what is the temptation here? What is the, what is the sin that he's being tempted with? Well, this is not the first time that the people of God have been in the wilderness and hungered. And the enemy knows that. Satan knows that. And what he's doing is he's, he's shouting and he's taunting and he's, and he's daring Jesus to replicate the miracle of manna in the desert. That when the children of Israel were on the Exodus and they ran out of food, God rained down something called manna that they could form into bread. And Jesus is saying, hey, or the devil is saying to Jesus, just prove yourself. Just replicate that miracle. Here we are in the desert. Just take these stones, turn it to bread, and we'll all know that you're God or I'll know who you really say that you are. But Jesus responds to him from the word of God. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses two and three. I'm gonna read the, the entire text there to really show us what's at stake in this first temptation. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God of the Lord. Jesus' response to Satan in this moment is this, that even in this weakened state, my greatest need is to live by the word of God. That's what sustains me. That's what feeds me. Jesus is saying, more than physical food, more than my appetite, more than my need for nourishment, I live by the word of God, that God is my provider. 
Jesus refuses to provide the food for himself, but instead looks to the heavenly father in this moment for everything. It says, if it doesn't come from him, if it doesn't come from his hand, then I'm not taking it. Listen, people of God, we don't live to simply satisfy our fleshly desires. We live by and, and according to the word of God. And we live from what comes from God's hands to us and to our families. I was in Thailand several years ago and, and, and we we're staying at an orphanage. And, and I heard some, some rumbling and some noise one morning and, and I knew what it was. I knew the, the voices. So I headed down the path and I went to the little gathering room where the orphans gathered every day at 5 a.m. for prayer. And they were praying in Thai and I just slipped in the back of the room and sat there and I just listened, spending time with the Lord. And eventually one of the workers walked up that spoke English and they, and they said, hey, do you understand what they're praying? I said, I have no idea. And, and they said, well, they're praying the Lord's Prayer right now. So we talked for another moment or so, and they went back to their duties. And I sat there for a little while longer. And then when prayer had ended, I was walking back to my room, thinking about what I had just experienced, thinking about listening to these children at an orphanage, praying the Lord's Prayer in their language. And I really felt the Lord just impress in my heart what I needed to hear that morning. And he said, Brett, when they pray the Lord's Prayer, they mean it. They're sincere. When they pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's because they need me to send provision to this place. When they pray, your kingdom come, God, your will be done, it's because I'm the hope of their lives. They need my kingdom to come to this country and to their situation. Listen, these children understood the purity and the pure understanding of where provision comes from. I'm the one that showed up with a credit card in my pocket and some cash knowing where my next meal was coming from. They're the ones that really understood where true provision comes from. People of God, we're going to be tempted this year to think that we have worked so hard and provided for ourselves and provided for our families that we did it all on our own. That's the first temptation here. Where does our provision come from? We're gonna be tempted in 2024 with other lusts of the flesh. We're gonna be tempted to feed addictions that we have, men and women. We're gonna be tempted to, to, to feed and to nurture that emotional relationship with someone of the opposite sex when our spouse and our family is at home. We're gonna be tempted to be unethical in the books at our work and our finances or maybe in our school work. We're gonna be tempted with those things. We're going to try to figure out the way that we can best satisfy self and, and the way to avoid that, the way to overcome that is to know where our true provision and satisfaction and joy comes from. And it's from God. Don't be duped by what the, the devil was trying to do to Jesus in this first temptation. Our provider is the Lord, amen? Second temptation. The second temptation is the pride of life. Man, it's, it's, it's devious. It's a very effective temptation that he brings against Jesus. Uh, or it's not effective against Jesus, it's effective against us. Let's pick it up in verse five. It says, the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, the devil said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So see this scene. Standing at the pinnacle of the temple, Satan 
Jesus and he says, okay, so if you really are the son of God, there's the second time that he questions it, throw yourself down from here, prove it. And then the devil quotes scripture. Isn't that interesting? He knows the word of God and he quotes Psalm 91. I love Psalm 91. We should all love Psalm 91, right? It talks about the provision of God and the protection of God over our lives. And it says things like, if we'll make the most high our refuge or our dwelling place, he's going to watch over our lives. He's going to guard and protect our lives. It's a wonderful psalm. But it doesn't say that God will rescue us from our stupidity. It doesn't say that God will rescue us from our recklessness or from our pride. It doesn't say any of those things. It's amazing to me that the devil quotes the word of God to the one who is the incarnate word of God. So it doesn't work with him, but it's very, very effective with us. Because there are people who know the word of God. They've read the word of God, but yet they want to use the word of God to turn it and twist it for their own personal advantage. Now, listen, I'm not talking about the prayer of faith that we prayed around these altars a few minutes ago. I'm not talking about prayer for believing for a miracle and trusting in the blessings of God. All of that, the word of God makes very, very clearly that we should believe those things and we do believe those things. But the pride of life carries with it something very, very dangerous. It's called entitlement. And entitlement is eager to set aside the will of God for our own personal advantage, to set aside the will of God for our own comfort, our own glory. Attempts to take the word of God and to corrupt it into something like a a tool that we can use to get what we want from God. Now, can you imagine if Jesus falls for this temptation? Let's just a little sidebar here. If he falls for this temptation, standing there at the pinnacle of the temple, and he jumps, and the angels don't bear him up. And he hits the grounds of the temple. Can you imagine the headlines in the Jerusalem newspapers? Prophet from Nazareth commits suicide at the temple. Crazy Galilean with Messiah complex ends his life at the Jerusalem temple. But what if he jumps and the angels do bear him up? What do those headlines look like? Our long-awaited Messiah suddenly appears at the temple in glorious form. How about this one? Son of David fulfills Psalm 91, coronation scheduled for Tuesday. I mean, it's a disaster either way. If Jesus gives into this and jumps and the angels bear him up or jumps and they don't bear him up, it's a disaster for the plan of God. Either way, we look at it. And Satan is so sly in his enticements to Jesus and he's so sly in his enticements to us. And he'll even say things like, Jesus, if you're the son of God, no harm can come to you because why? It is written. Using the word of God for personal advantage. I'm gonna pick for a minute. Is that okay? Well, about 10 of you agree. I'm gonna pick anyways. We have a, a whole subculture in our society. I'm going to get in somebody's business. I guess I'm not sorry, but people that are preachers and teachers in, in something called the Word of Faith movement, prosperity gospel, that want to pick and choose the best scriptures to only talk about the good things that come from God. Listen, Psalm 91 tells us we are assured, and throughout the Bible tells us we are assured of God's blessings. 
But it does not tell us that we have the privilege of picking and choosing what those blessings look like. Listen, if Psalm 91 is true for for this situation there standing at the pinnacle of the temple, and it's true for every situation in our lives, if Jesus should have or could have jumped and the angels would for sure have borne him up, then how do we reconcile those, those with the same scriptures that we read and that we treasure and that we love that say that, that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that he was despised and rejected, that Jesus was uh, uh, abandoned by everything, everybody when times got tough. The son of God that, that, that we follow, the son of God that, that we worship, guess what? He was penniless. He was often homeless. He went hungry. He was persecuted. He was tortured and ultimately crucified. How do we, how do we justify and rectify all those scriptures to say, I only get the good stuff, but never the bad stuff? Jesus' attitude when he came to the Garden of Gethsemane that Jason referenced a few minutes ago, he said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has prepared for me, that the Father has given me? Jesus in that moment did not draw on his own infinite power. Nor did he try to coerce God into glorifying him prematurely or, or proving to the devil who he was. He didn't do it. Don't you think that standing there on the pinnacle of the temple that he would have loved to right then and there just, just give it to the devil one time. Just shut him up. Just shut him down and say, look, it's, it's over. Get out of here. You're a lost cause. I'm going to win. He, want, he probably wanted to do that in his flesh, but he didn't do it. On the contrary, he quotes the word of God and he says, look, Above all else, we worship and serve God only. I'm not bowing down to you. See, the second temptation we think is he's questioning his identity or his power. The second temptation is not just about our identity in Christ. The second temptation deals with pride and the entitlement that Christian people, good people, often heap upon themselves because of our identity in Christ. We want to pick and choose and proof text God's word to say, just give me the good stuff, Jesus. And we have to battle pride this year in 2024. I know I do. I have to battle pride in 2024. You know how often I think that I'm right? 100% of the time. <laughs> My wife is smiling. My kids back here are smiling. They know. Ask my coworkers. I think that I'm right 100% of the time. Until what? Until I pray. Until I consider what God would want. Until I slow my mind down and my mouth down to listen to somebody else's viewpoint. And then I realize I got to December 31st and kept that resolution of being right 100% of the time of the year. Just kidding. I was probably wrong January 1st last year. <laughs> Just kidding. But listen, we're going to have to fight pride. We're going to have to fight entitlement, people of God, in 2024. And many of you are going to join me in this battle. And I say welcome because this second temptation is it's devious. It's dangerous. It appeals to, to, to our humanity to say, yeah, I need all that good stuff, Jesus. I'm entitled to all that good stuff. Here's the third temptation, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is thinking that we can see a better way or we can see better things or a better path that we should take that somehow we can improve on the will of God for our lives. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you will bow down and worship me. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Jesus knew his purpose. He was resolute in keeping that purpose. And here's what I believe. Although Satan didn't know how the plan of God was gonna be revealed, he knew that Jesus put on flesh. He knew that the second person of the Trinity had put on flesh and had come as a human being. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. Satan knew the prophecies that, that the seed of Adam and Eve was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. He knew that Abraham had been promised in the book of Genesis that through you, all nations are going to be blessed. He knew the prophecies that said Messiah is going to come and he's going to rule and reign over all the nations. The enemy understood the virgin birth. He understood the incarnation. He tried to kill him with Herod's uh, edict that we read about in Luke chapter two. And now here, in this third and final temptation in Matthew chapter four, he is doing anything and everything he can to subjugate Jesus to himself with what I'll call the path of least resistance. Jesus, I'm gonna give you everything that you've come here for. Think about it. I'm gonna give you all the nations. I'm gonna give you all of the peoples. I'm gonna give you their allegiance, Jesus. You just gotta do one thing. Bow down and worship me. That seems like a ridiculous offer to us, doesn't it? We read over the scripture quickly. It seems ridiculous. Jesus is never gonna do this. He's never gonna fall for it. But think about it. It's everything that he came for. All the people, all the nations, knowing who he is, giving glory and honor to him. Jesus knew that he was going to ultimately pay the price with his life, but he had to be thinking in his mind, is this a different way? Is this a better way? Is this an easier way, a less painful way to achieve my purpose here? But Jesus knew the plan of God. He knew that that easy way, that path of least resistance would not fulfill the prophecies, would not honor God. And the scripture indicates that, that time and time again, Jesus knew that his destiny was going to go through the cross. And here's why. The plan of God was never about just wrestling the allegiance of the nations back to, to God. That was never the plan. That was a byproduct, but the plan was not that. The plan was that once and for all, God himself was coming to break the power of sin by giving his life as a ransom for all of us. There was no other way to fulfill the plan of God, but to go the path that he went. The will of God went through the path of rejection. The will of God went through the path of suffering. The will of God went through crucifixion and the pain of a cross. It's painful, it's horrific, but guess what else it is? It's undeniable and it's glorious for the world for all time to see who Jesus is and what he did because of his great love for you and me. That's why he didn't bow a knee to the enemy. He wanted to fulfill the plan of God and to set captivity free, amen. That's what the trick is of the lust of the eyes. We think maybe there's, a, there's an easier way to do this. Maybe there's a less painful way to do this. And Jesus responds and says, we only worship God. We're here to serve the purposes of God. Folks, we don't serve the devil's purposes and we don't even serve our own purposes. When we're born again, when we're bought, when we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we serve another purpose. We serve God's purpose. And when this temptation comes to your life and my life, guess what? It's very easy to justify it because it looks like a blessing so many times. Oh, thank you, God. You provided the easy way out this time. I think I'll take that one. 
We love to avoid the pain and we love to reap all the benefits. But Jesus, time and time again here in Matthew chapter four, he's our example in overcoming temptation. He remained the perfect, sinless son of God, worthy to take away the sins of the world. And, and you know what I do when I, when I read and think about Matthew chapter four? I glory and I marvel and I wonder at his strength, his holiness, his power, his purity, even his restraint to not do what he knew he could do to the devil right then and there. But he restrains all of that for you and me. I marvel at that. But you know what else I want to do? I want to learn from him. How is he teaching me in 2024 and, and, and even today to resist temptation, to overcome, to not give in to the lust of the eyes, not think the easy way is the best way. And listen to all of us in this room, the lust of the flesh pride of life, the lust of the eyes, it's going to show up on your doorstep in 2024, I promise. It's probably going to show up this afternoon at lunch. But to those that are tempted with the lust of the flesh, hear the words of Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. A right relationship with God is the only thing that is going to truly and eternally satisfy the hungers of the human soul. That's it. To the one tempted with the pride of life, you don't have to raise your hand. That's me. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28 says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Followers of Jesus, join me. Let's, let, let's battle the trappings and the deception of pride and entitlement this year. Amen? To the one tempted with lust of the eyes. Hear, hear Jesus' words, Matthew 12, 28, 29. I love this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what all this striving that we go after in life in this crazy Christmas season is? Looking for peace, looking for rest in our hearts. Listen, Jesus is not just the example to that kind of life. He's the means. He's the way to that kind of life. That trusting in him is the way that we find rest for our souls. Believing in him, giving our lives to him is the way that we find rest for our souls so that all these other cravings, all these other desires begin to take second place. Jesus shows us that example by doing what? By loving God, by loving the word of God, by loving the will of God, wanting to do the will of God. Jesus teaches us and his word teaches us time and time again how to disciple our hearts, how to train our hearts to live in the kingdom of God and be followers of Jesus, to be sons and daughters of God. The word feeds us if we'll open it up and let it feed us and train us in that. There's this principle that not only I see in scripture, but I see it in my life. And, and, and I bet if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you see this too. And it's this, that as my love for God increases, my desire for sin decreases. I see you nodding your heads and amening. 
I'll say it again. As my love for God increases, my desire for sin decreases. I know that sounds simple. But I've lived it. Not perfectly. Hear me. I'll have to come back and preach about grace another day. I've not lived it perfectly, but I've lived it that as I stay close to him, as I stay in his word, as I stay on my knees, as I stay in Bible study, and I love and stir up fervor and affection for who God is and what he accomplished on the cross, my, my, my desire for sin decreases. There's this old hymn that, that, that we used to sing, and maybe we still do. Savannah, maybe we'll sing it another day, uh, called Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And verse 3, I, I was in the shower this morning, and for whatever reason, verse 3 came to me in the shower this morning. And it says, yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Listen, when we stir up that fervent love for Jesus, and we have really, truly entrusted our lives to him, we will cease with sin. We will cease with self and selfishness. That him nailed it on the head. Listen, it's all going to come to an end. All those other desires, it's going to end. Let's jump back to, to, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Our, our outline, our template for today's text, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Verse 17, the world and its desires. Here's the good news. Pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Folks, that's my prayer for us this year. We would love Jesus so fervently, so strongly, so convinced. Man, when the enemy comes, and he's coming and brings temptation to our doorstep, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, our love for Jesus overcomes that. Like him, we want to do God's will. We want to please him. We understand what's at stake, and we put a stake in the ground and say, he's enough. He's enough for me and my family this year to resist and to overcome anything the devil throws at us. And it's coming. Get ready. If God's word is true and 2023 is a warm-up, man, 2024 is going to be crazy. But it's going to be so exciting for the people of God. It's going to be so exciting. The scripture says when we think about time drawing down and the world getting crazy, you know what the scripture says to people like us? Lift up your eyes. Redemption is drawing nigh. The craziness we see in the world, the temptation that's going to come our way, the attack of the enemy, you know what Jesus says? Look up. Redemption is at hand. He is at hand. He is coming again. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you as we close. Would you bow your heads with me and join me in prayer? Before, we, before I pray for our congregation, we join together in prayer. I just want to ask this crowd, man, today, the last day of 2023, you may be ready to turn the page on this year. You may be so looking forward to tomorrow and a fresh start. Listen, that fresh start can start today. 
If you came into this place and, and, and you knew that your heart was not right between you and God, but you say, listen, today is the day I'm making a fresh start. I want to entrust my life to Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who died for me. He's the one that has set me free from the power of sin, and he's the one who has a plan and a will for my life that I can glorify God, that I can live in, 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 in opposition and overcoming temptation this year. If that's you, you need a fresh start with him this year. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward right now, but would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you this week. Just lift up your hand real high. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up for just a moment. Thank you. Yes. Awesome. All over the room. Thank you so much. All right, you can put them down. Father, thank you for people that want, need, desire, fresh start in your son. Those of you who raise your hand, just pray something like this. God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I choose today to make him the Lord and the leader of my life. I entrust my life to you. I receive your free gift of salvation. God, thank you for your grace in my life. Now lead me, guide me, teach me how to live from this day forward. My life is yours. And if you just prayed something like that, you are welcomed into the family of God. There is a grace for everything that you've ever done wrong and grace that's gonna hold you and keep you from this day forward. And I wanna pray for you, congregation. While your heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed, if you say, Pastor Brett, one or more of those areas, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, I'm, I'm struggling. I've blown it so many times in 2023, but would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Yeah, all over the room. All over the room. I see you. I see you. I'm praying for you specifically in these next few minutes. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that your word is effective. Your word, as, as it did to me in the preparation of this message, just, just, just beats me up and just disciples my heart and reveals your glory in a whole new way. And Jesus, I pray for our folks that are here today, either in the room or watching online right now, to have the same effect that your word had on me. God, that we would be drawn to you, that we would be amazed by you, inspired by you, that we want to live lives like you, Jesus. I know we're not going to get it perfect, God. Everybody in this room, and especially those that raised their hand, God, give them strength. Help them to draw back on the scriptures and the truths that we've talked about today, truths that are buried in their heart as they've read and understood your word. God, strengthen your people for 2024. I believe we're going to see amazing things this year. God, for us to see those things and to be a part of those things and to know that our redemption is at hand, God, it's going to require us to be close to you. The enemy would love to do anything and everything to separate us from you. So God, I pray a covering over your people. I pray for grace, security, peace over your people in this coming year. Help them to withstand the attack of the enemy and the temptation that is coming their way. Gird us, God, in your word. Jesus, gird us in great, fervent, affectionate love for you. Open our eyes to who you are, how great your love is for all of us. And God, let that be a fire in our souls that churns and churns and burns in us, oh God, that we would love you more deeply than anything else this world could ever offer and to receive from you, as the old hymn said, life, rest, joy, and peace. Let it be so, we pray, oh Jesus, in your name. Amen and amen. Hey, would you stand with me?
Happy New Year's Eve to you. We love you. I, I, I know that we, uh, we rolled the dice on one combined service, but it looks like most of us fit in here. I think there's some uh, folks in the overflow. Uh, we're back to two normal service times next week. Pastor Kirk will be back. And, and on behalf of our pastor, Pastor Kirk, and our staff family here, uh, Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a blessed Christmas. And uh, we love you so much and look forward to seeing you next week. Please allow me the privilege to bless you as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you and grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Let's give a response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Love you, folks. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.